country music legend Willie Nelson sung this song many times. Maybe I didn't love you quite as often as I could have. And maybe I didn't treat you quite as good as I should have. If I made you feel second best, girl, I'm sorry I was blind. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. And maybe I didn't hold you all those lonely, lonely times. I guess I never told you I'm so happy that you're mine. Little things I should have said and done, I just never took the time. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. Tell me, tell me that your sweet love hasn't died and give me, give me one more chance to keep you satisfied. I'll keep you satisfied. Little things I should have said and done, I just never took the time. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. We're going to talk about loneliness today. Old Willie and his girl obviously had broken up. Sounds like it was mainly Willie's fault, but uh, that's, that's another story, isn't it? All those things he could have said and done, and he didn't say them. But he was heartbroken. We can feel lonely for many, many reasons. We can feel lonely because of a breakup. We certainly can feel lonely because of divorce, because of somebody that we love that's lost. We can be with a lot of people and still feel lonely. We can be with a significant person in our life and still feel lonely. We can move to another part of the country and feel very lonely. I remember when I went off to college, I had graduated from high school, small town in uh, Florida, and I went to Manhattan, New York City, and I was excited. I thought that was great. I thought this is going to be wonderful. And it was. It was amazing. Uh, but as my parents drove away after dropping off my two suitcases, my thoughts start, started to turn to loneliness. I thought, what in the world have I done? I was in a, midi, in a city of over 8 million people, and I didn't know anybody. And I felt lonely. Loneliness can come for many reasons, and it can be used for our good, for our strengthening, for our growing closer to God, or it can draw us away from God and do us great harm. In the Bible, we have many examples of individuals who were lonely. Let me share with you just a few. You remember Leah, Jacob's wife, Jacob's wife that he loved the most. She felt lonely. She had a hard time having children. She finally had two sons, but she felt left out many times because she was not able to have the children that her uh, sister and some other ladies had had for Jacob. Hagar, Abraham's wife's handmaid, Sarah's handmaid, uh, she felt lonely. She had a child by Abraham, Sarah got mad, got jealous, even though she instigated the whole thing. And because of that, Hagar finally left the camp, went out into the desert area, and almost starved to death uh, with her son, Ishmael. God protected them, brought them back to the camp. But Hagar, she felt lonely, even when she was with those that should have loved her. Miriam, Moses' older sister, she felt lonely. She had sinned, and God allowed her to have leprosy, and she was thrown out of the camp for a period of time before the leprosy was cured by God, and she felt lonely. 
Elijah, a great prophet of God, he felt lonely. He had done great things. He had spoken for the Lord, and God had done great miracles in his midst. But yet, then he felt like he was deserted because he felt like there were no other individuals that were speaking up for God himself. And so Elijah cried out and prayed that God would minister to him. David, who became king of Israel, he felt lonely. Two examples from the scripture. One was after he was anointed king, but there still was a king, King Saul. And Saul became jealous, and Saul wanted to kill David and chased him all over Israel. And David felt deserted by many individuals. Another time later in his life, he was king of Israel. He was there in Jerusalem. He was doing what seemed like well. And one of his sons, Absalom, became angry with David and took over the kingdom and became king for a very short period of time. And David ran for his life. He left Jerusalem and he saw who were his true friends and who were his false friends. He felt lonely and deserted. Job felt lonely and deserted. God allowed Satan to test him. And so Job lost his family, most of his family, all but his wife. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And his friends and his wife were no comfort to him. In fact, they made things worse. And Job felt lonely. He felt deserted, not only by people, but also by God. And the last example I'll give you here is Jesus. Jesus felt lonely at no greater time than when he was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt deserted by even God himself. Today we want to look at Jeremiah's life and we want to understand a little bit more about this loneliness and how we can respond to loneliness and how loneliness can make us into better individuals, more willing and able to serve our Lord and Savior. Jeremiah was another prophet of God. A big book about him in the Old Testament. I encourage you to turn there to Jeremiah 26. We'll be reading a passage from that uh, that chapter in just a few moments, moments. But Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. I don't know if that's the term that I would want on my tombstone, the, the crying preacher, but that's basically what people called him because he kept calling out to God in his loneliness, in his hurt, in his desperation. Jeremiah was born a priest, but he was called by God to be a prophet. And he was a prophet for Judah, the southern part of Israel, for 40 years. And during that 40 years, he was ridiculed, rejected by almost everyone. He was ostracized, he was arrested, he was tried, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, and he was nearly killed at least three times. Jeremiah's life was very difficult. I said that he was a priest. He was born a priest, but he didn't serve in that role. He didn't serve in that role because he was now a prophet for God, but also because he was the, of the line of Abiathar, a former priest, a priest who had sided first with David and then sided with one of David's sons against Solomon to become the next king of Israel. Obviously, Solomon became the king of Israel, and so Abiathar was outcast. He was exiled. 
He could not come to Jerusalem or he would be killed. And because of that, all of his descendants who were priests in name were not allowed to serve as priests because they were from the line of Abiathar. Not only that, Jeremiah was also told by God to never marry. That was very, very unusual at that time for a priest or a prophet or for anyone really to not get married. And so he lived a solitude life, a life of solitude. He was not allowed to marry. And he was also restricted by God from going to many social functions. He was not to go to any weddings. He was not to go to any funerals. And therefore he was ostracized. And he was ostracized also and primarily because of the message that God gave him. The message God gave him is that because of the sin of the people in Jerusalem, God was going to punish them. And another nation was going to come in and was going to destroy them. So Jeremiah, yes, was very lonely. How did he deal with that loneliness? He had just preached in uh, Jeremiah 26 to the people in the temple area. He had just had his sermon, and his sermon was, God is going to destroy our nation. Uh, didn't have three points, didn't have a poem, but that was his sermon for the people at that time. And follow along in verse 8 as I read. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of Jeremiah. They grabbed him. They weren't shaking his hand, happy, good sermon. It wasn't that. And they said, you shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying, this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant. And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah, the men that worked for the king, heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord, to the temple area, and took their seat at the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. They were going to have a trial. They're going to have a trial for Jeremiah and decide whether his sermon was a good sermon or a bad sermon and whether they would actually kill him. Verse 11, then the priests and the prophets said to the officials, to all these people, this man deserves the sentence of death because he's prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. And so many of the leaders there of Jerusalem said he shall die because what he said was blasphemy, not against God, but against them, against their city, against their country. And so they were so nationalistic, all they wanted to do was to have the best for them, and they didn't really care about God himself. Then Jeremiah spoke in his defense at this trial for him to all the officials and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. So his defense is, yes, I did speak against this city. Yes, I did say that this city was going to be destroyed. Yes, I did say that there would be judgment because of your sin, but I did it because God told me to do it. Now, some of the people who were in the audience were whom? Priests. They were other leaders, and they were probably thinking, we didn't hear God say that. Some of the king's officials were probably thinking, we didn't hear God say that to us. And then some of the prophets 
Obviously not great prophets. Some of the prophets were probably thinking, we don't think God really said that. We don't think that that's really what God wants. We don't think that that's what God will do to us. Jeremiah continues in verse 13. He says, now therefore mend your ways and your deeds. So he's pointing his finger at them and saying, because of your sin, this is going to happen. You change, you repent, you get right with God. He was very bold, was he not? And obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of this disaster as he has pronounced against you. God will spare you if you change your ways. Then Jeremiah continues and he says, But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon the city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Now we could wait a few years and we can find out whether Jeremiah was telling the truth or not. Because a prophet of God always told what was going to happen. He was always accurate, 100% accurate. And as we are able to, because of time, look back, we said, yes, Jeremiah was right. Those priests, they were not right. The prophets were not right. The other people were not right. Jeremiah pleaded his cause, and he said, yes, I said you will perish. Yes, this city will perish. It will be destroyed, but it's because of your sin, and therefore I have said these words because God told me to say these words. Because of that, obviously, the people hated him. He was not killed that day. They relented. Enough people spoke up for Jeremiah that he was saved. As we read, and we will not look at it today, but I encourage you to look at it later, in chapter 36, we see that this same king got angry with Jeremiah again. And he sought out Jeremiah, and he sought out Jeremiah's scribe, his writer, his secretary, and he tried to have both of them put to death. He was not successful. God protected Jeremiah again. And then later we have another king of Jerusalem who comes into power and he hears again Jeremiah's words that Jerusalem would fall, that it would be destroyed by the Babylonians, that the people would be taken off into captivity. And this new king, he wants to kill Jeremiah. He gets Jeremiah uh, up. They have a trial, kangaroo trial. They put him in prison, and then somebody talks the king into doing something worse than putting Jeremiah in prison, and that was to put him into a cistern. A cistern was a large pit. A cistern was usually uh, lined with plaster so that it could hold a lot of water, and they would get the water when they had rainy days, and they would put all that water in that one area, and then when they needed water later, they would be able to get that water out because there was not an abundance of water. And so at this time, the cistern was almost dry. There was a little mud in the bottom of it. And uh, Jeremiah was thrown down in that cistern, and he was going to be left there to die. If he was in the prison, at least he could have had an opportunity to get some food, to have some people come to try to minister to him. But here in the cistern, he would die a slow death, a dark death, a difficult death death. And that was what was happening to Jeremiah. So for the third time, the king sought to kill Jeremiah. We'll leave Jeremiah in the pit. 
for just a short period of time, and we'll look at some of the lessons, some of the truths that we learned from the story of Jeremiah and the loneliness that he went through, the difficulties that he went through, and how God used them to grow Jeremiah. First of all, the first lesson is that we should keep close to God. We should keep close to God. When we face difficulties, when we face loneliness, when we face problems in our lives, it's so easy for us to get angry and to run away from God. Jeremiah thankfully did not do that. Jeremiah ran to God and he expressed his love and devotion and care to God. I encourage you to follow along as I read a passage here in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, verses 15 and following. This is one of the prayers of Jeremiah as he goes to God and he shares with God his hurt. He shares with God his pain. He shares with God what is going on in his life. He says, beginning in verse 15 of Jeremiah 15, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. So here's his prayer saying, God, I'm lonely. God, I'm in difficult straits. God, I'm hurting. God, I need your help. I am in difficult straits because I'm following you. I'm serving you. I'm honoring you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This would be a good prayer for us, right? If we're facing these kinds of difficulties, we're facing distress to say, God, I need your help. I'm doing what you've called me to do. Please minister to me. Please make things better. Please work out through this situation. Verse 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And so he said, God, I sought you and I sought your word and you spoke to me and you gave me information and I was delighted to have that information and I enjoyed those words and those meant something to me. They were great to me. For you and I, thankfully, we have God's word. We have the Bible and we can run to him and we can get a word from God at any time and we know God can minister to us and help us in that problem we face, in that loneliness, in that discouragement. Verse 17, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I didn't go to the parties, he's saying. I didn't go to these events. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Life was difficult because I was serving you. Life was difficult because I was ostracized. Life was difficult because I was doing what you needed me to do. He's not saying that he was mad at God for God allowing that to happen to him, but he's saying that he was seeking to do what was right and what was righteous. When we run to God, it's fine for us to share our hurts, our concerns, our needs with him. It's not right for us to blame him. It's not right for us to, to castigate God. It's not right for us to say those kinds of things. But here he was going and he was sharing his hurts and God heard him. Verse 18, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? The answer is no. 
The answer is no. As we run to God and we share with him our hurt, our concerns, our pain, God hears, God loves, God ministers, God cares for us. We must keep close to God when we're lonely. We must allow him to give us courage and strength. Everybody around Jeremiah, except for just a few friends, had rejected him, had said difficult, ugly things to him. And Jeremiah continued to do what was right. He continued to do what was righteous. He continued to serve God. May we be found that faithful as we face difficulties, continuing to do what's right, trusting in the Lord, not necessarily understanding what's happening, why it's happening, not understanding how God's going to work out, but knowing that God is going to work it out, knowing that God is going to do the right thing, knowing that God is caring for us and loving for us, continuing to cry to God, continuing to serve our Lord. Secondly, One of the lessons that we learn here from Jeremiah is he faced grave loneliness and even depression at times is that we should help other people. It's so easy when we get lonely, when we get depressed, when we get angry, when we get overcome for us to to lash out at everybody else. Say, I'm not going to help anybody else. I'm not going to do something to minister to somebody else because I'm hurting. Everybody needs to minister to me. Usually one of the best ways for us to overcome that hurt, that pain, that loneliness, that difficulty is for us to look outside of ourselves and for us to look for opportunities to help other people, to minister to other people, to serve other people. God uses that to mend us, to heal us, to raise our eyes, to see beyond what we're able to see on our own. Jesus was a great example of that, was he not? Jesus, as he lived his life, and as he suffered, and how difficult it was, he continued to help other people. He gave of himself and gave of himself, and through that, God strengthened him just as he strengthens us. Probably the greatest example is Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do. He was praying for those individuals there around him, those that had deserted him, those that had left him, those who persecuted him, those who put him on the cross. He was praying for those individuals. That is how we should respond in our pain. We can do so with Christ in us. We can do so with Christ's power through us. We should help other people. And thirdly, we should allow God and friends to help us. We should allow God and the friends to help us. Sometimes when we get overwhelmed, when we get lonely, when we get depressed, when we get uh, all of these negative emotions, it's so hard for us to allow somebody else to help. We're pushing them away. I remember on a mission trip that I took with my daughter, Julie, Uh, She was about 18 at the time. We went down to Jamaica. We went down with a group from the church, and there were probably uh, uh, 15 or 20 of us. Barbara's here, and she went on that trip, and it was difficult. It was hot. 
Uh, it had not been organized like it should, even though we had been made some promises. We were working with children during the day, and that was difficult with many of them. In the evening, we were having services for the people. In the afternoon, we were doing some uh, projects. And I remember that a lot of things just weren't working the way we had planned. And so we were making some adjustments. I was supposed to be the leader. Uh, I don't know how I got elected to be the leader, but I was supposed to be the leader. And I took almost all of that upon myself. And one of the men pulled me aside and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to make it work. And he said, you've got all of these other people who want to make it work. Spread the load, allow them to participate in making it work, allow other people to help in that situation. And I did, and it made a big difference. But it's so easy for some of us when we are down, when things are difficult, when we feel lonely, we feel depressed, to try to do it on our own, try to push other people away. But God is saying he wants to help. Other people are saying they want to help. We need to allow them to minister to us in our time of need. Jeremiah had a friend. Let's, let's go back to the pit. Jeremiah's in the cistern. He's in that pit. Uh, he's there. He's starving. Uh, he is lonely. It's difficult. It seems like all is lost. He had one friend that came to his rescue. His name was Ebed Melech. Ebed Melech was an Ethiopian who served the king there in Jerusalem. And he took his life into his hands and he went to the king of Jerusalem, Judah. And he said, uh, Mr. King, I'd like to have a word with you. Unless you were summoned, you knew it was dangerous to go and immediately ask for an audience with the king, to ask him to uh, drop what he was doing and listen to your request. But he took that chance, Eben Melech did, and he said, please, Mr. King, let me talk to you. The king allowed him to talk to him, and he shared with him the plight of what was going on with Jeremiah, and he pleaded for Jeremiah's life. He said, Jeremiah would die if we don't get him out of there. And the king relented and allowed Eben Melech and some others to go there to the cistern. And they took some soft ropes and they put it down there and they pulled Jeremiah out before he died. And they gave him food and water and they took care of him. They ministered to him. And Jeremiah continued to serve the Lord. God interceded through a friend of Jeremiah's. When we have difficulties, when we're lonely, when we're overcome, allow people and allow God to help us. God wants to help, needs to help, because that's the way he is. I want to share with you that these truths don't only apply to the times when we're lonely. The truths to keep close to God, to help other people, and to allow God and friends to help us, these truths also apply for some of the other so-called negative emotions that we feel as well. When we're angry, when we are fearful, when we are overcome with great sadness, and even in times of guilt, if we follow this pattern that God has given us in the Scripture, God will minister to us and work through these negative emotions to bless us and to draw us closer to Him. Those times when we're angry or fearful, if we keep close to God, we help other people 
and we allow God and friends to help, God will use even those so-called negative emotions to draw us to do great things for Him. When we're sad and when we're guilty, if we continue to run to God, keeping close to God, helping other people, allowing God and friends to help us, then God is able to use those times to make us better. I would encourage you to think about this in your life as you go through difficult times to allow God to minister, God to give you grace in these ways. It's not a special formula. It's just an example of what works and how God ministers to us. The reason that these steps, these methods work in our lives is because of who God is. Let me share with you quickly. The reason these things are true is that God loves us, number one. He loves every single one of us. He died for us. He cares about us. He truly loves us. Secondly, God wants all of us to love Him and to serve Him. That is God's desire for us to love Him back and to serve Him, to honor Him, to obey Him, to listen to Him, to run to Him. And then thirdly, these things are true because God will help. God will help us. God will intercede. God will work in our lives. He's not going to change all the circumstances. We may still feel lonely. We may still feel depressed. We may still feel anger and fear, but God will mitigate that. He'll make it so it's not so overwhelming, so difficult that we cannot honor Him and glorify Him. Shotgun Willie began our time with always on my mind. I want to share with you even a better song. A song from the book of Psalms that helps us at times when we feel lonely. Times when we feel depressed. Times that help us to focus on the God who loves us. And I'd encourage you to write down these verses, to underline them, maybe to write them in the front or the back of your Bible so you could go to them in times when you are overwhelmed. In Psalm 25, verses 16 and 17, we read these words, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Here, this is David writing, praying to God, For I am lonely and afflicted, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. You know what? God will. God will. He loves us. He cares for us. Let's praise him and honor him. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much that you're good, that you're great, that you love us, that you want us to love you, want us to serve you. You want to help us. Lord, we thank you that when we call on you in our distresses, you listen. You're there. You care about us. Help us to continue to run to you, to keep close to you. Help us, Lord, to be involved in other people's lives, sharing with them our abilities, our passions, sharing with them our care, even when we are hurting ourselves. And Lord, help us to allow you and to allow friends to intercede, to be a part of our lives, to make our lives better, to make our lives richer. Lord, we thank you for Jeremiah. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for the fact that he continued to call out to you. He continued to serve you. He continued to do what was right, even when it was very dangerous. 
Thank you, Lord, for sparing his life these three times. Thank you, Lord, for using him in a great and a marvelous way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me share with you.